The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Political commentator and investigative journalist, you're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Thank you for joining us here on Thursday. This is TNT, today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Thank you for coming along for the ride for the next two hours. We have quite a lot of ground to cover, and I'm going to call this the Christmas scramble. Everybody's scrambling before Christmas. I'm not talking about you. You're shopping and running around, getting caught in traffic, waiting a half an hour to get into a parking lot at a big box store. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the political scramble. The political scramble to make it look like you're getting things done, that you're actually doing the right thing before Christmas. It's so important in the United States, uh, in Britain. And so there's been some movement on a number of fronts. We'll cover some of that uh, in the first and second hour. Uh, And also we're going to have a hopefully a surprise guest, uh, maybe in the first hour, maybe not. It's touch and go. Uh, We're trying to book that person at the moment. Got our people on the back line trying to arrange that may or may not happen uh, because they're very involved in uh, politics uh, in the country they're in. So there are a number of uh, meetings happening at the same time as we booked this segment. So uh, touch and go. We'll see how that goes. If it comes off, fantastic. If not, don't worry. Uh, We have plenty more for you in the second hour as well. I want to welcome to the program, Mats Nilsson, who's going to give us a lowdown on NATO's problem with Finland and Sweden, specifically Finland, though. Looking forward to that conversation with Matt's based in Scandinavia. Uh, he is a historian, among other things, a great, great political analyst. And that little known niche, which controls so much of Europe, which is Scandinavia, people don't realize how much power they actually have, especially Sweden. Anyway, we'll talk about that and more in the second hour. And also we're going to be joined by Christian James, our research assistant for the show, is going to give us the lowdown on COP28, the climate summit, uh, which just convened. Uh, What's the fallout from that? It's really a folly if you really look at what came out of this thing again. And this whole sort of charade uh, regarding climate change is becoming more and more problematic because there's some practical constraints that the world is dealing with that these people at these events are not yet acknowledging. So anyway, we'll talk to Christian about that. Plus, he's got a really good uh, take on what's happening between Ukraine and Russia. There's movement on the negotiation side. Christian's been keeping an eye on this, among other things. We'll talk to him. I really want his update on that. We're also going to be hooking up with Basil Valentine at some point, probably in the first hour, maybe sooner than later, depending on on other guest scheduling. Anyway, we've got him on standby. Uh, Basil's got a lot to uh, to give us today. There's so much. Thursdays is always a busy uh, news day. Now, you probably saw reports yesterday of, uh, I think it was Kit Clarenberg, uh, was one of the first journalists to push this on X, uh, Russian squadron fleet leaving St. Petersburg, heading for Washington, D.C. Uh, it seemed like a diplomatic mission have to remember something that uh, the russian national carriers like aeroflot etc they are not allowed to fly over western airspace because of sanctions that's insane anyway they did that back in march of 2022 um so for certain diplomatic missions doesn't have to be presidential but could be high level diplomatic even ambassadorial level um it's possible they could use uh and scramble uh sort of a military uh 
array of of aircraft uh, to bring diplomats to the United States. So I haven't heard any more on this, so we'll just keep our eyes. It looks like there's some news uh, coming out of Washington and also out of Moscow uh, on developments in terms of negotiations. The U.S. Biden administration in particular are very keen to get something in place before the new year, at least some kind of provisional agreement, because this is going to become a big problem uh, coming up in the election cycle. Not that Biden's going to have any problems uh, in the, well, the Democrats have deep sixed their own primaries, uh, if you can believe it. There's going to be problems with this, by the way. And uh, the Democratic Party is anything but Democratic. As you know, Robert F. Kennedy was running as a Democrat, uh, but then the Democrats made these sort of very uh, desperate moves uh, in order to push out any primary challengers. They did that by basically pulling the rug out of their own primary so that nobody could run against Joe Biden. I mean, isn't the, the Democratic Party not very Democratic? And then to compound this, uh, we have activist judges in Colorado this week, uh, state Supreme Court, they're ruling that Donald Trump will be booted from the Colorado ballot uh, come primaries in that state. That's going to get challenged at the high court. We've actually got a nice breakdown of that from uh, the great constitutional scholar, Jonathan Turley. You can read some of the text of this up at 21stCenturyWire.com. We've also got additional analysis on this, uh, which we published yesterday. Uh, you can read that. That's all in our features uh, section there. Uh, but anyway, t what Turley's saying, and you've probably seen Turley, sort of a regular on Fox News. Uh, I, d I do rate him as a constitutional scholar. He's he's always been spot on on pretty much everything. Definitely a voice of levity, a voice of reason in Washington. And he's saying that Supreme Court should rule unanimously against Colorado's Trump ballot ban, of course, who can't agree with that? Uh, it makes perfect sense. And he explains why, uh, why this was dead wrong, why this is a very dangerous precedent, why why this could actually rebound to affect Democrats in, in the future. Uh, this is a problem when you concentrate power either in the judiciary branch or in the executive branch vis-a-vis executive orders, for instance. Uh, it doesn't matter if that's done under Republican administration or a Democratic administration. Uh, whoever comes after that could be a different party. They're going to retain those powers that have been concentrated. Uh, and many will argue these are unconstitutional powers or they've thrown the system of checks and balances uh, in the United States, which is brilliantly designed by the framers of the Constitution. It throws that out of balance. And when that's out of balance, you start to have some serious systemic problems in the political system. We're watching that happen right now, and not just domestically, but also internationally. I'm talking about the abuse of the uh, uh, emergency use uh, of authorization of force by the United States government is usually uh, pushed through the executive branch. So th this is allowed for sort of unfettered, rapacious uh, U.S. militarism abroad without actually having to do a declaration of war in Congress. So you can see this; these are fundamental problems that affect uh, not only the United States uh, domestically, but also the world, too, has to suffer uh, for the United States' own unconstitutional uh, actions. Uh, and that's really what it comes down to. And here's a perfect example. Obviously, the Supreme Court, majority conservative court, they're no doubt if it's as expedited, I would expect a swift ruling on this, uh, especially with the conservative majority of the nine justices. 
But the fact that it's happened and that it may happen in additional states, this is a problem because you're running against the clock. Uh, a lot of these ballot uh, provisions have to be resolved by around January 5th that week. So uh, not a lot of time, especially with the Christmas break uh, and everybody. But I think those people who are active on this issue are going to be pushing pretty hard to make sure that these uh, are not successful, these election meddling efforts here by the democratic establishment how else can you possibly justify what we're watching here it's quite unbelievable so and you know it's the shocking thing about this is is i would expect uh democrats to come out and basically condemn what colorado has done here just on principle okay so they're basically saying because donald trump supposedly they think started an insurrection um of as it's laid out in the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution, which was a Civil War provision. We talked about that yesterday. So what they're saying is that um, we, the court in the state, are going to decide who you can vote for, basically. So the court's acting like they're their own private electoral college, basically. I mean, can't get any worse uh, than this. Great arguments here. By Turley, I think Jonathan Turley would make a good Supreme Court justice myself, uh, so I will sort of pre-nominate him for the next available opening. Should you have a Republican president, uh, Turley would be the next in line for sure. So anyway, good arguments there. Now, on the international front, uh, we told you there's movement on the Ukraine issue, at least superficial movement. Uh, The United States wants to look like they're going to be pursuing some kind of a peace uh, agreement or some sort of negotiations with Russia. Meanwhile, Zelensky is begging for money uh, from Congress and Senate. uh, mixed, Mixed results on that. Now, the issue of Israel, that's also getting interesting. There's been a diplomatic game changer here. And who is running the global diplomatic agenda on on Israel and Palestine. Let's see, let's see who's got results so far. The United States sat on their hands and told Israel, go ahead and bomb to your heart's content. We'll take those uh, 20,000 dead Palestinian civilians, no problem, collateral damage, keep going Israel, we've got your back. Kill as many as you want, children, women, whatever. And you can do it in the most brutal fashion. We don't mind, just carry on uh, and target Hamas, go for Hamas, whatever, you, you know, that's the excuse. Uh, so Britain as well, same, pretty much they're all the same. Manuel Macron in France just recently came out, made some noises uh, against it, said, oh, this is wrong, uh, we need to cease fire. Okay, a little bit late on this, okay. But now uh, Rishi Sunak has made noises in the last 48 hours. And what caused him to make noises? It was Yemen. Yemen's uh, move to announce that they're going to be targeting any Israeli ships uh, coming through the Babel Mendeb Straits into the Red Sea, that move by Yemen's Ansar Allah, a.k.a. the Houthis, has been a game changer. That's That caused a number of other shipping companies, including major petroleum shipment companies, to say they're not going to be putting any product uh, through the Babel Mendeb Straits. They're going to take the long route around uh, South Africa. Okay. So immediately the British prime minister says, we need a ceasefire. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is Yemeni diplomacy 101, Yemeni international relations. It works. Yemeni diplomacy works. Everybody else has failed. Yemeni diplomacy actually worked.
the poorest country in the world. One of the poorest countries in the world has just gazumped and checkmated everybody. That is an incredible story. We talked about it yesterday uh, with Freddie Ponton. We might comment on that later uh, in this hour. In the meantime, let's take a break with the network here at TNT. Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We'll be right back. TNT Radio's Joe Hoff. Just a terrible situation there, and Biden was behind it pushing these arms, pushing billions of dollars over there. We don't know where that money went. I'll bet you money. I'll bet you a huge percent uh, went. I bet you more than 50% didn't go to the uh, to the people or to the war. Uh, it went to people's pockets, kind of like what we have in, in uh, Palestine. Uh, with the U.S. Since, since well, under Biden, uh, Trump shut this down, thank God. But under Biden, Obama, they started sending billions over to uh, that part of the world these people are have been after israel forever and and uh, supported by iran and billions of dollars going their way and uh, to help them uh, you know basically uh create chaos in the middle east terrorism and and we saw what happened earlier this year about a month ago uh, the two one attack in israel and the death and destruction rape and kidnapping more than 240 people kidnapped joe hoft on today's news talk radio tnt Council and DOJ have approved a no-knock breach. We want the subject to be on display, doing the walk of shame, full visual impact. Any questions? Are we becoming a police state? Government told American citizens they couldn't go to church on Sunday. For the first time in my life, I'm saying to myself, am I going to get a knock at the door? FBI warrant, come to the door now! The Patriot Act and FISA were used against Donald Trump. These individuals have commissioned the biggest propaganda play in U.S. history. They don't go after the people that rigged the election. They go after the people that want to find out what the hell happened. We don't need to have a crime. What we need is a person to look at, and then we go find out what crime you did. FBI! Our focus is shifting. Our main priority as a bureau is going to be domestic terrorism. It really paints anybody who's right of center. If you're a pro-life, pro-family Catholic, they define you as radical. These are anti-government. We have freedom of religion and freedom of speech. Violent extremists, and they must be dealt with. We can do anything we want. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live. All right, here we go. Look, we're in the first hour of this live broadcast. I'm Patrick Henning, senior host. As we said uh, earlier, uh, when we picked up uh, the segment at the beginning of the show, we had a surprise guest still working on the background. They're very busy uh, in politics. Some of you probably already worked out who the guest is uh, if you're looking at our Twitter feed. Uh, but extremely busy schedule today. We'll be lucky uh, if this person can fit us in. We've got our people working on it behind the scenes anyway. In the meantime, uh, I want to welcome on to to the call are a roving geopolitical analyst among other things he wears many hats his name is basil valentine He's joining us on the live link right now basil how are you uh, very well thank you patrick yes an ever increasing number of hats they don't give me any rest 
the world doesn't give you any rest because the the, the, the no. news cycle doesn't doesn't rest, Basil. It just keeps going. Uh, I I confess, I confess, I was uh, up at uh, four a.m. this morning uh, checking the news feed, looking uh, for any movement uh, on the situation. As you know, Rishi Sunak and others in the UK government panicking somewhat. Uh, about the Bab el-Mendeb Straits and the Red Sea. I don't know if you picked up any of this. There's even calls, it seems like. I don't know whether to trust this from the Prime Minister's office. Are they honestly uh, sincere calling for a ceasefire in Gaza, Basel? Is there actually uh, any any substance to this? Or what, what, what are we talking about here? Uh, well, Sunak has said the uh, Red Sea attacks are deeply concerning and a Navy warship has joined, a Royal Navy warship has joined the so-called task force. Sunak hit out, and, and the precise language of this in diplomatic and military matters is very important, as you know. Uh, Sunak hit out at what he described as the malign actions of Iran-backed militants targeting shipping in the Red Sea uh, as a, a destroyer has now joined the International Coalition to Protect Vessels. Mm -hmm. Downing Street has said the UK had a clear-eyed view of Tehran's activities in the region as Houthi rebels in Reb Yemen disrupted the flow of merchant shipping through the vital trade route. Well, it's funny. They're always trying to rob the Yemenis of their agency by saying that they're being puppeteered by Iran. And listen, I've been following Yemen since this uh, latest phase of the war broke out, following it fairly closely uh, from from the spring of 2015. And one thing that I have noticed, uh, Basil, over the years is that the Houthis, as they call them, their, their actual name is Ansar Allah. They're regarded as the legitimate governing body of Yemen based in Sana'a. That is the true capital there. But as you know, that war was designed by the United States and its allies to partition Yemen. And it's effectively failed after eight years. And one thing I've learned about them, Basil, is that when they say they're going to do something, they absolutely do it. Not only do they do it, they're usually successful at it. Their record is unbelievable in terms of effective direct action uh, against Saudi Arabia to thwart the blockade of Hudaydah and their country for the brutal blockade, by the way, trying to starve out the country. And now with this, Basil, they said they came out, they gave a statement. They say, we're going to uh, to to seize any ships uh, they're coming through that we believe are providing material support for Israel because Israel is in violation of international law, crimes against humanity. Okay, very clear. Other countries have done the same in history. They've sanctioned people for war crimes and said, we're going to stop any arms or anything that is heading into that war zone. Yemen's gone and done it here. Very poor country, arguably very underfunded, under-equipped and they're basically saying, bring it on to the United States, bring it on Britain, bring it on coalition, bring it on Gulf states. We're ready. And guess what? The Gulf states backed down. They said, we're not joining this coalition. Egypt kind of backed off and said, uh -huh, I don't think so. We don't want to get involved in this. USA, you're on your own with Britain, the Netherlands, and uh, whoever else is the Seychelles or the Faroe Islands. I don't know who's joining this coalition of the willing, uh, Basil, but... When the Yemenis say they're going to do something, you better take note. That's one thing I've learned.
Yes, the Straits are called the Gate of Tears. I don't know if you knew that. And they account for between 10 and 12% of global maritime trade, which is obviously quite you know, a huge amount, 10% of global trade. But I think the Americans have been supplying Israel through the Mediterranean, because obviously if you're coming from the West, that's a much more direct route. So I'm not sure in real terms the extent to which this is likely to affect uh, Israel's ability to carry on with the genocide. Yes, uh, I, th I think it's going to have a, it's going to have an effect in that it can pressure uh, the countries that are supporting that are supporting uh, Israel's efforts here, uh, their war crimes. So Rishi Sunak is now asking for a sustainable ceasefire in Gaza. You know, my attitude, of course, Basil, I'm very cynical on this, uh, a little bit too late, you know, too little too late on this. Oh, David, Cameron, David Cameron's also late. kind of joined the fray. Uh, Keir Starmer's weighing in as well. So they're, they're trying to basically look like they're doing the right thing before Christmas, because as we know, Basil, Christmas is that time of year when families come together and usually the subject of politics talks. And then we're going to be talking about why haven't they resolved the situation? It's completely out of control. The fig leaf of uh, Israeli uh, legitimacy of, quote, defending itself, it's already fallen off by this point. And then the Houthis have basically forced the issue here and they've got a result. I like this diplomacy by the Houthis is the first successful uh, diplomatic gun, move gun, by anybody. Well, gunboat diplomacy is what it was called. Do you remember that? Or, or lit, they're not really, they're sort of speedboat, <laughs> speedboat diplomacy. Yeah. 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 So. I mean, the, the, the uh, calls from Sunak and now, of course, Starmer has fallen into line for a, a sustainable ceasefire. They're very particular about the language. Uh, and the United States refuses to back any UN resolution. They've been trying to get one passed all week that uses the term ceasefire because that implies truce. It means no more fighting on anybody. So instead, because you're trying to get something through finally and avoid yet another US veto, the term that's being bandied around is sustainable pause, okay? Which, of <laughs> course, means that the Israelis can carry on massacring people as and when this pause comes to an end. We pause a video recording, don't we? You know, the two vertical lines, pause and then play again. It's a very different mechanism from stop. Um, the U.S. is resisting. Mm. Yeah, sustainable pause, isn't it? Very sort of diplomatic language, you know. Mm. Probably means different things in, in different languages as well. Um, but... You know, the point is that uh, worldwide, the support for Israel has absolutely cratered, mm. really cratered. Uh, no way back from this at all. Huge activist protests in Berlin, New York, a big protest outside a firm uh, in the UK today who are involved in uh, supplying components for U.S. spyware that is used by the Israelis. So it really is worldwide. And uh, even some of uh, the most loyal supporters in the U.S. media are starting to peel away. I don't know if you saw Chris Hayes last night.
Chris Hayes, MSNBC. Uh, Rachel yeah, Maddow's so twin, twin uh, fraternal or identical twin brother. Fraternal, fraternal yes, twin that's brother. right. Yeah. That's right. All in with Chris Hayes, his show on MSNBC. Uh, and I quote from Chris, there is no terrorist attack, no matter how horrific, and truly October the 7th was horrific, that can wash clean what we are seeing in Gaza and what we as Americans and our government are abetting. It must end. We must stop it. This, of course, is in response to the absolutely horrific scenes in on social media uh, of the mass mutilation of children, a subject that actually uh, was particularly picked up by Dr. Natalie Thirtle, who helped oversee the response in Gaza by Médecins Sans Frontières until last week, who uh, has said on her return that it was very confronting for colleagues trying to provide health care when it's possible to be shot through the window of the hospital. Um, and uh, she reported the death toll having passed 20,000. She said it's impossible to set up a meaningful response to this catastrophe because of the ongoing military activity. And she particularly highlighted the ever-growing numbers of mutilated children. There was a member of the Irish Parliament, the Doyle, who stood up this week and graphically recounted a few examples of the horror, including the surgical removal of a young girl's eyes, both of them, because every bone in her face was smashed. Mm. Obviously, uh, this is some form of self-defense. I mean, uh, on top of it all, you had Blinken at his press conference yesterday saying that the suffering was gut-wrenching. That was the term he used. Yet Blinken, uh, a lot of people say he's actually running the US because, you know, Biden's completely senile. Blinken, by vetoing calls for a ceasefire, uh, by continuing to supply Israel with billions and billions more in ordnance and weapons to continue these atrocities is directly supporting and funding them. So, I mean, talk about speaking with forked tongue. He's describing the suffering as gut-wrenching, yet he's quite happy for it to carry on and to pay for it. Absolutely bizarre and obscene stuff. That's right. That's right. Be easy on uh, our president, uh, Joe Biden, please, uh, Basil. He's doing the best he can in his frail state. And uh, we're hoping that uh, he'll wind down his career very quickly uh, because the world can't afford to wait for that to happen. Unbelievable. Dr. Jill Biden's a steady hand there. She's, she's leading him around, Basil, telling him where to go, where to stand, what to say. And so forth. So, well, the stories are that he wanders around the White House in his underpants in the middle of the night and is becoming increasingly uh, incoherent and, you know, suffering from uh, dementia. He's that yep. age, you know. Yep. Uh, why, why is it such a big deal, you know? Apparently, uh, isn't America supposed to be a functioning democracy where every four years the brightest and the best of that great country that we're endlessly told is a shining beacon of light to the world for its education and its values and everything else. Isn't every four years there's the, these individuals are supposed to push themselves forward and 
and uh, be voted on in open primaries to find somebody with the vision and the values that carry on the great tradition of the founding fathers. Isn't that what's supposed to happen? Or do we just have a senile old man shoehorned by electoral fraud back into office? Uh, I think you've been reading too many Christmas cards, um, Basil. Uh, Joe Biden, also, there's accusations that he was abusing uh, the White House dog. And this is the explanation for the dog lashing out and biting. There's a two-year-old German shepherd named Commander. So at least there's somebody in there uh, that's taking action. Uh, Commander was biting people, apparently. So, And they think that this might be because the German Shepherd's being mistreated, perhaps by Joe. It could be wandering around the house at night. Why are we digressing going down this route? This is uh, not productive. Um, right. So, so <laughs> back to the back to the back to the task at hand. Okay. So yes. t t Tony Blinken uh, has just shown his remorse uh, during the State Department presser. I would like to talk to Sam Husseini about that. Hopefully, we will. I don't know. I'll try to get a comment from him, uh, maybe today or before tomorrow's show. But um, basically, saying it's regretful about all the civilian casualties. My heart goes out. To, I don't think his heart goes out to them because it's. What are we in the ninth week now? It's just a, the official number yes. has surpassed twenty thousand killed, twenty thousand. Yes. So, like that's the official yes. number. Uh, Tony Blinken's yes. now sort of re slightly remorseful, yet saying that. It's really uh, almost uh, half blaming it on the Palestinians. So this is this logic. Well, I mean, that that's I find... been the case from the that's been the case from the that's been the case from the start. I mean, this is the most egregious example of victim blaming uh, that I've ever come across. It's you know quite spectacular, and of course this sort of blanket. Oh, well, Hamas could be hiding here and there. They could be anywhere. I mean, that is uh, just a recipe for. Uh, genocide for carpet bombing, for indiscriminate bombing. It's come out, obviously, that 60% of the bombs used have been uh, dumb bombs. Um, and, uh, you know, crucially, in the words of Israeli officials and journalists, they're quite open, particularly in Israeli media, about the fact they want to either kill everyone, drive everyone out, raise Gaza to the ground, uh, colonize it completely, or some combination of the above. They're quite open about it, you know, so nobody should be surprised. Uh, Netanyahu himself said yesterday that Israel is uh, unleashing hellfire on Hamas. Well, you know, for Hamas, read read Palestinians in general, because they've got absolutely no idea where Hamas is, particularly in the south. Um, you know, the so-called safe zones aren't safe at all. Uh, other Israeli leaders have been quite open about using starvation and disease as weapons to thin the population down further. So, you know, I gather uh, you and others are looking to build a coalition to get a country, might well be South Africa, actually, to invoke the Genocide Convention, because uh, it's perfectly obvious, both by their actions and their words, that that's what the Israelis are in the process of doing, committing well, a lot, genocide. A lot of people are raising awareness about this, a lot of journalists, a lot of people online. Uh, there's people retweeting, there's Twitter campaigns and things like that. I totally support that. Um, anything to sort of put an end uh, to what we're seeing here. Israel's floated this, I don't know if you've seen this, a week-long pause 
uh, and they want to exchange like 40 hostages. I don't know how many they're offering in return uh, from the prisons. And I think it was 128 uh, Israeli and foreign nationals, including Americans, are still held. They're only wanting 40 of them. I don't get this from the Israeli side. Like, why don't you just get all the hostages out? I mean, isn't that, wouldn't that be to Israel's advantage just to do a deal, get them all released, do a deal with the uh, the Palestinians? Why why, why are they parsing it out? Why are they parsing it out? Well, if Hamas release all the hostages they've got, then they don't have any bargaining chips at all. So I think some of the resistance to a complete and utter uh, no, I'm saying I'm swap. saying Israel Israel should just give uh, give Hamas what they want, which is whatever well, they're asking. Hamas wants a permanent Hamas wants a permanent ceasefire. Yeah, what's what's if, wrong if, with this? Because of the Israelis want to carry on killing. That's what's wrong with it. Well, there you are. They don't want to no. The Israelis have talked about continuing this uh, bombardment for months. Quite mm. open about it. I mean, right at the beginning, Netanyahu said this is going to be a long war. You know, so, mm. you know. Mm. Let's see. Well, you got to the nub of the issue then. That's that's where we're at. That's, that's yes, what exactly. it comes down to. That's what it comes down yes. to. It's not. And, and, it's not and, about Hamas. It's not about hostages. It's about. It's about the uh, continuing bombing campaign, the ethnic cleansing, pushing Palestinians out of populated areas further and further south, and then imposing more sort of stringent, uh, sort of quote security measures on the area. And we all know where that's heading, don't we? So well, I it's mean, you know it's making uh, Gaza literally hell on earth, making it absolutely uninhabitable by destroying all yeah. the buildings and the infrastructure, and they're I quite open about true. that, you know. Yeah, and then and then the, the, the ethnic cleansing will become an inevitability because nobody can live somewhere that's completely uninhabitable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so per, you know they, they they're well within their ability to uh, uh, have a permanent ceasefire on this, but we're I think oh, we're past course. the point. Because you know Hamas, the Palestinian position is going to be—they're going to—they're going to want much more after what they've lost. I mean, they've incurred the losses on this, not Israel. Okay, so it's kind of obvious who's incurred the real losses well, you've also, here. Absolutely. I mean, not only the losses, but uh, you know, a heavily traumatized and mutilated population. At least fifty thousand people have been injured. Thousands yeah. of permanently disabled, crippled, blind, etc. As yep. a result of this indiscriminate onslaught, who is going to look after these people for the rest of their lives? You know, um, that Israeli activist Daniela Weiss describes the uh, Zionist Gaza plan in the following words. This was widely reported on the X platform, a clip again from Israeli TV. Israelis want to see the sea, the beach. This is a romantic demand. For this, we must destroy all the houses in Gaza, all of them. So as she's platformed on Israeli media, you know, openly genocidal statements like that. Michelle Bachman, I think it was the recent uh, conservative conference or whatever. She was, she basically said, we they're they're all terrorists. Everybody in Gaza is a terrorist. Right. We need to get yes. them out of the area. So, uh, total genocidal fanaticism uh, that was being pushed by uh, I think Charlie Kirk was no. pushing that. Another another was, conservative. I mean, these people yeah, are unbelievable. They really are. Um, 
but what's the, what this is doing, this kind of language from people like her, is causing uh, centrist and uh, left-of-center Israel supporters like Chris Hayes to peel away. Do you know what I mean? Like, like a lot of White House staffers, we're told there's arguments within the White House about uh, exactly what the White House should be doing. And Biden, of course, was always the most pro-Israel in the Obama administration when he was VP. He was known That's for right. being the most hawkish on Israel. Catholic yeah. Zionist. I think uh, j just on that media front, Joy Ann Reed, who I, I honestly can't stand her. Um, she's on MSNBC, but she absolutely That's nailed fine. it on this issue. So like they've lost the, the White House, the Biden administration have lost MSNBC on this issue. I mean, they've got them on all the anti-Trump garbage stories, yes. but they've, yes, they've yes, lost yes. them on foreign policy. They've That's a huge dent in their, you know, coalition solidarity that the Dems yes. usually have ironclad solidarity on everything lockstep. And this is the first time I've really seen them fray at the seams, honestly. And I can't believe that it's happening because usually, at least from the Obama era forward, it's just been solid. You know, they'll get behind one person, you know, one platform, and there's no one, no one going off the reservation. Not the case. Well, some, something else somebody pointed out as well is that, uh, you know, the uh, talking heads on MSNBC, um, they they've started to. Uh, criticize Israel, what they're not doing is naming Biden. You know, that's another step to say, actually, well, we need to stop this. Actually, you, Genocide Joe, you need to pull the plug. You know, they haven't generally gone that far yet. Oh, but the voters will. The voters will. Oh, I mean, Many the voters are a different matter altogether, you know. I mean, support for Israel is cratering amongst American Jewish people as well. If I can quote from the uh, Torah Judaism uh, account on the X platform, these are orthodox, very conservative Jewish people. Uh, large communities of them, particularly in the eastern United States, Zionist, I'm quoting Diane, Zionists are definitely not Jews. Zionist ideas are against the Torah. There are no such perverted beliefs in Judaism. Zionists distort the Jewish religion. Zionists' minds and hearts are filled with pure evil, and they are absolutely perverted people. Now, as I say, that's from uh, uh, an official statement, effectively, from a from uh you couldn't get a more orthodox jewish group than that so it's important it really is important particularly when so many uh gentile zionists non-jewish zionists be they biden sunak starmer von der leyen schultz in germany they are shoring up zionists against the wishes of large sections of the Jewish community. So this is, mm -hmm. this, and yet, and yet in the UK, opposition to Zionism and elsewhere, they're still trying to frame it as anti-Semitism. Chap you had on uh, a couple of days ago, Benjamin Rubenstein on yesterday, uh, he's Jewish, 
vehemently anti-Zionist. The, the day before, we had uh, Janet from the Bronx Coalition, member of Jewish Voice for Peace, Jewish anti-Zionist. So this sort of monolithic idea that somehow Jewish identity is entirely tied up with Zionism, and Zionism enjoys the unequivocal support of Jews all around the world, da, 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 that's all total nonsense. 100% nonsense. We've got to stop thinking in those terms. It's simply a question of this sort of fanatical uh, bloodlust. The only way to describe what we're seeing coming out of Israel at the moment, which has been supported up to this point by all these popinjays and cowards in the in uh, Western capitals, um, but it's completely it's completely finished in terms of public support. I mean, mm. it, you know. There's no well, coming look, back to this for, me as well, for most there people. Has to be, there, there has to be a political solution, uh, and that political solution can only come if the uh, direct the parties directly involved uh, can can negotiate. This is a bottom line. It's not unless it's going to be a military solution. We already know what the Israeli military solution looks like. The Palestinian military solution, or the the axis of resistance military solution, if that's taken to its full conclusion, that's not going to be pleasant either trust me not for israel or for the united states and its allies so we want to avoid those two extremes and do this uh in some kind of way to preserve what's left of life uh there in that region but that's not uh, really practical and there's a number of reasons for that i'm going to go through those reasons and explain why this is fun there's a fundamentally flawed situation that can only change with a major intervention from outside uh, uh politically and through sanctions or diplomatically otherwise we are going down the roads to ruin i'm patrick hennings your host i'm here with basil valentine on tnt today's news talk hour number one coming up we're the final segment we're going to hit this and a whole lot more stick around we'll be right back with his expert analysis and opinion. This is TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. Did Joe Biden just defraud the federal government? Is he guilty of theft of services and filing a false document? What am I talking about? Well, Marine One isn't free. Passengers have to be listed on the official passenger manifest and they're billed for the transportation between Joint Base Andrews and the White House. Just as passengers on Air Force One are billed by the Air Force. So who was on the helicopter but wasn't on the manifest today? Well, that would be one Hunter Biden. Can you just imagine the outcry, the calls for impeachment, and likely a criminal and a civil trial against President Donald Trump if it had been Don Jr., Eric, Laura, Ivanka, Jared, Tiffany, or Baron Trump? that it hitched a ride for free. We don't need to ask the question. We all know what the hue would cry would be. And again, it's the double standard that is intolerable. From MAGAinstitute.com, this is Timothy Shea for TNT Radio. Prescription drug pricing points to corporate mountains. Freedom of the press is about your right to know. It's about your right to be informed. Today, no. there are real threats to press freedom and your right to know about the world around us. We must protect our right to know, no matter what kind of news is important That's to you. Before it's too late, understand the threats. Protectpressfreedom.org. 
speaking on the issues that impact. This is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. All right, folks, welcome back. Welcome back to this live broadcast. I'm your host, Patrick Henningsen. You are listening to TNT, today's news talk. We're still in hour number one, getting into the final stretch here, joined on the line by our trusted cohort, our great analyst, Basil Valentine's on the line right now. Now, before the break, I was talking about, you know, what is it going to take uh, to get some kind of negotiated settlement, even a temporary negotiated settlement between Israel and Palestine here. So let's talk real terms here. It's Israel and Palestine. It's not Israel and Hamas. It's Israel and Palestine. That's the first thing. Let's frame this correctly. Unlike our governments and mainstream media, been gaslighting you with this Hamas versus Israel business for the last nine weeks. Of course, that's not going to go anywhere, is it? So why can't this work? And I'll tell you why. So one of the one of my areas of study uh, when I did my postgraduate work on international relations was about sanctions, and we covered game theory, and I did some research on to sanctions, game theory, negotiations, and when you enter into negotiations, especially between parties that don't have the same uh, power dynamic in terms of strength. Uh, and weight uh, within this, the negotiations. Obviously, the weaker party uh, is the Palestinians. So, uh, but so if they're going to negotiate with a stronger party, and this, it's amazing, Basil, when you look at the models for negotiations, and this is a great book it's by Daniel on sanctions ever written. It's called The Sanctions Paradox. This is like required reading for uh, university level, postgraduate level text on this topic internationally. Okay, so it's a great, it's a great asset to, to learn about. Daniel Dresner is a total anti-Trump fanatic, by the way. That's, the, that's, the, the, well, that's what I learned after, after 2020 election. But anyway, put that aside. He's a brilliant uh, economist and theorist. So this is what they found. They did a game theory analysis of all different international negotiations to do with sanctions. And also, this could also apply to peace negotiations, too, because these are basically adjacent to sanctions, uh, imposing sanctions. And lifting sanctions are usually in, in, included in peace negotiations. So if, listen to this, th th this has been proven to be a postulate, not, not, not a theory. This is a postulate of international relations. In other words, it happens every single time. If one party believes that the the other party they're negotiating with who's imposing the restrictions if they believe that they're going to impose violence on them in the future um they will not change their behavior they will in fact double down they will dig in deeper and take a harder defensive position and and are, do not trust the the opposing party every single time so if they, unless there are guarantees security guarantees given to the weaker party, given to the weaker party, not the stronger party, the weaker party, then they're going to double down. And, and often what happens is the person imposing the sanctions over a long period of time they, or, or the restrictions or whatever becomes less effective and it even damages the stronger party over time. It, dam it bleeds them of cost. Uh, it can also bleed them economically and also in international support because they're seen to be bullying and torturing a weaker state. 
look at this situation right now in Israel and Palestine. Do they really think people in Gaza uh, are going to become like peace doves now after what they've witnessed here? They think they're going to submit? No, they're going to dig in harder. They're going to double down their positions. They're going to become more adroit. They're going to become more adaptable. Look at what happened with the Houthis in Yemen after eight eight years look at them now they're like a force to be reckoned with in the region so like whatever they did to this is the problem when you you start you know beating and bombing on uh weaker opponents over a long period of time it's only a question of time before they will rise up and they will develop the resources and the ability to strike back but also do so very effectively so if you want to negotiate you have to do it in good faith basil that's the bottom line the textbooks are clear on this i've read it i understood it but i'm wondering is anybody in foreign policy decision making positions have they read any of these texts do they understand the dynamics of game theory basil not at all i mean the, you know the collapse of traditional diplomacy and uh, the the real uh international law-based order is something that we've witnessed progressively really uh since 9 11 when suddenly we had uh, this new era of supposedly global terrorism supposedly emanating from the middle east and that this sort of terrorism was a a new kind of evil that required special measures including the indiscriminate bombing of civilians so we had it with the iraq war where thousand iraqi civilians were murdered effectively on a totally false pretext nothing to do with terrorism i mean afghanistan was invaded on the pretext that it had something to do with acts of terror uh, again thousands of civilians died had absolutely nothing to do with it um but somehow in this century after 9 11 terrorism became recategorized as an evil that did not involve negotiation at all and had to be completely eliminated by the most violent means possible even if that includes the death of lots of innocent civilians previously if we go back to the last century and this is a point that ben wallace the former uk defense minister made in his article in the daily telegraph uh, referencing northern ireland as an example of how these conflicts can be overcome um you know, the IRA committed indiscriminate bombings, including on the UK mainland, the Birmingham pub bombings, the Guildford bombings, there were lots at one time, as well as in Northern Ireland itself, of course, as well as shootings by um, the uh, ID, by the uh, Ulster loyalist groups, various paramilitary factions. Uh, but ultimately, there had to be negotiation. Everybody realised that. Everybody had to sit down. The money ate each other, been shooting each other, blowing each other up. You know, you had people like uh, Jerry Adams and Martin McGuinness, the original sort of the political face of the IRA, as it were. And over many months and years, they thrashed out the Good Friday Agreement. It was one of the very, very, very few good things that the Blair government did, uh, you know, with Mo Molim taking off her wig famously when she was suffering from mm -hmm. cancer and uh, really, you know, forcing these people to sit down with each other. And, and it ended with, um, uh, unbelievably, with uh, the Reverend Ian Paisley 
and you know never 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 and uh, no Martin peace McGinnis, there'll be no peace that's right sitting down uh, next to each other in the new stormont normal uh, northern ireland assembly and uh, they became known as the Chuckle Brothers because they were uh, laughing and joking. Well, I can't see the leaders of Hamas and uh, and uh, the Israeli cabinet becoming known as the Chuckle Brothers anytime soon. But the mm. point is that you that you've got you have to negotiate at the end of the day. There's no alternative. Uh, but the Israelis seem to think there is an alternative, which is the total extermination of, Pal of Hamas. But Hamas is a political idea. It, you know, it isn't just simply individual. It's a political movement. Yeah, it's a political movement. Exactly. It's not. It's not just. Uh, you know, the, listen. The, the the problem is we talked about this before, Basil. The the uh, the label of terrorist or terrorist group. It's totally subjective. And it, it yes. varies from country to country, and it depends. It's basically a political designation made by a specific government, and that will have to do also with who that government is allied with. So for Britain and the U.S., they're tightly allied with Israel. So anybody opposing Israel will more than likely be labeled a terrorist group by those countries, but not by other countries, not by the United Nations. Um, it's completely subjective. And if we look back at history, there have been proscribed terrorist groups that are now sort of lauded as freedom fighters in history. Let's take the ANC, for example. They're in power right now. And you gave the great example, Basil, of Northern Ireland. What about Sinn Féin? What about the IRA? Uh, I'm, not, uh, uh, I'm not advocating for their militant uh, exploits over the years, but, you know, they did what they needed to do. Um, it's not my position, actually, to advocate or not advocate. I just can merely comment on what's happening. And I was not surprised that uh, that they used the methods they did because they believed that they would be ultimately effective over the long term. And guess what, Basil? Were they effective over the long term? No, they weren't. Um, what Now, what we've got to remember as well... Patrick, this is the last point I want to make, and I am pleased to say that uh, Dr. Yvonne Ridley is now in our green room and will be able to join us after the headlines, um, is that uh, this is a humanitarian question. The Israelis, and to a lesser extent the Americans, Britain, the European Union, have been trying to frame it as something else consistently over the last two months but it, it always has been a humanitarian issue and it that fact is now becoming increasingly clear to journalists politicians the world over that basically if you have any human compassion if you have any feelings for your fellow man if you believe in uh, human life essentially uh, and the avoidance of suffering, then there is no alternative to an immediate and permanent ceasefire in Gaza now. Now. You know. Yeah, I think that's pretty um, self-evident. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's a Hamas supporter, that all this other noise, this nonsense exactly. that you get swelled around. This is a humanitarian question. People are starving to death. They're dying of thirst. They do not have clean water to drink. Uh, you know, there is nothing to eat. And they're being bombed, you know. So it's hell on earth there. And it's got to be brought to an end immediately.
There's a couple of different avenues for that uh, diplomatically, legally. We're not saying we have faith in the international justice system, but there are things that can be done. There are avenues that can be pursued. I certainly support all of those uh, because I think we need to exhaust all legal avenues as well as do the regular uh, hard work of diplomacy on a minute-by-minute basis, which I'm afraid to say our uh, Western governments are, don't seem to be interested in doing. Um, but that aside, we can discuss all that in the next next hour. Uh, Basil Valentine, thank you for joining us on TNT. Today's news talk this week, your analysis, your counsel is most valued. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. Top of the hour news headlines coming up. And as Basil said, our special guest has arrived, Yvonne Ridley, the great journalist and also a fantastic activist and voice for peace and human rights in the Middle East. She's going to join us in the next segment. Hopefully we'll get her on the line. Uh, Looking forward to that conversation. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a few minutes.